want to tell you the story of a, a man named Jacob. He's Abraham's grandson and Isaac's son. And he famously lies to his dad and rips off his brother, steals the inheritance and the blessing, and, and so has to run for his life. His brother is going to kill him, and uh, he has to leave where his family lives, and he runs for his life out into the wilderness. This is all taking place in the region that is now the center of Middle East. It's Israel, it's Syria, Saudi Arabia, Iraq. And so you can picture that desert, and there's people are nomads, and they herd sheep and goats around the desert to graze. And the only place that Jacob can think of to run to is his mother's brother, his uncle Laban. So he's going to go to Uncle Laban's place, and Uncle Laban is also a nomadic herder, and so it's not like he knows an address. He's got to go look for him. Like, where are they grazing the sheep and the goats this summer? And so he wanders out in the wilderness, and a couple different stories happen where he has a dream of a stair, what's called Jacob's Ladder, the stairway to heaven, and those stories are not my point today. I want to skip forward to uh, he finds in the desert a group of shepherds herding their sheep and goats, and he asks them, if anybody, does anybody know my Uncle Laban? And they're like, oh yeah, he's, he's right over the hill with his herd. And, and he's like, great, uh, I'm going to go live with my uncle and try to find some employment because uh, I can't go back home. And, and the shepherds are like, oh, hey, there, there's his daughter Rachel coming right there with his sheep because they're at a well, and uh, she's herding her sh- dad's sheep in for a drink for the day. And Jacob goes over to see Rachel, and it is love at first sight. He is totally flipped out. The Bible says he wept for joy when he saw her. Instant love. She does happen to be his first cousin, but that wasn't a funky thing in the Bible times. Um, it's, It's instant love at first sight, and he kisses her, and he helps her water the sheep, and then they go back together to her, meet her dad, and her dad grabs his nephew, Jacob, and they kiss on the cheek like Middle Eastern men do, and they weep, and, and it's probably Laban's first time meeting his nephew. This is my sister's son, and we've never met, and welcome, and they have a big party for a month nice. to welcome their family member that they haven't ever met. And in the process of all this, Jacob is is still just head over heels for Rachel. And in a month into this, Jacob tells his uncle, you know, I can't go home. Mom and I really, really made dad mad. And Esau is wanting to kill me. And I need a job. And Laban says, huh, I happen to be hiring. (laughs) If you want the job, a position of first shepherd, I will hire you. So, Jacob takes employment with his uncle, herding sheep, and Laban says, uh, just because you're my nephew doesn't mean you should work for me for free. He says, what do you want as payment? And Jacob says, I want Rachel. Uh, I'll, I'll work for free. No money. I want Rachel. In their culture, 4,000 plus years ago in the Middle East and still today, you have to, a man had to buy his wife. It was a dowry. And it was trading something that he had of great value for her. It wasn't a purchase like you would purchase a slave. It was, I'm trading this really valuable thing for her. And in some cultures, it went to her dad. In other cultures, it went to her. And it was her property and her inheritance. 
from her husband. And it's what Jesus did for the church. He, he purchased us. He redeemed us with his very blood. But Jacob is unemployed and penniless and homeless, so he has nothing for a dowry. So he and Laban worked this deal out where, okay, you can work for me for seven years for no pay, and in exchange, your pay will be Rachel, and your dowry for her will be the seven years of labor that you give me, since you don't have anything. And Jacob's like, great, yes. And the Bible says the seven years went by like a week. He was so in love, he was so excited, it just didn't matter. And he worked hard, and he was in love, and he was excited. And seven years went by, and they throw a big wedding. And in these cultures, weddings were huge, multi-day events with enormous groups of people, family, feast, massive amounts of food. So they have the ceremony, and the bride comes in with her veil on, and they get married, and there's a big dinner, and they all get half drunk or more, and Jacob takes his bride to the tent, or the honeymoon tent, where they consummate their marriage late at night in the dark, and in the next morning they wake up, and lying there next to him is not Rachel, it's her cross-eyed sister Leah. The Bible said she had weak eyes. We don't know what that means. She could have been cross-eyed, could have had a lazy eye, could have just been nearly blind. Uh, Hebrew language is not very exact language. But regardless of that, Jacob has reaped what he sowed. He deceived his dad and robbed his brother. At his mom, it runs in the family because it was his mom's plan. And now her brother has deceived him by giving him a different sister. And Jacob is furious and he barges into his father-in-law's tent, his uncle, and says, why did you give me Leah instead of Rachel? And he says, I'm sorry, rules are rules. The oldest sister has to get married first. They have to be married in order of age. And Leah was older, and so Rachel can't get married until Leah's married. So Jacob is just, just furious. What a tragic way to wake up for Leah, to wake up the first morning as a bride that her husband is mad that it's her. Laban and Jacob work out a plan where Laban says, well, another seven years labor, I'll let you have Rachel. And Jacob is stuck. There's nothing he can do. Rachel's the one he loves with all his heart. It's like, there's nothing he can do but agree. So he's like, okay, sure, fine. I'll work for you for another seven years. Laban does agree to let him marry Rachel at the beginning of that seven years instead of at the end of it. So he marries two sisters within a week or two, and now all three of them are just in an utterly disastrous situation through really no fault of any of the three of them. Jacob was tricked into marrying a girl he doesn't love, and that's not his fault. I mean, you love who you love. It's not his fault that he doesn't love Leah. Rachel got ripped off of the husband that she was in love with. Now she has to share it with her sister. And Leah got forced to marry a man who doesn't love her. I mean, it's, it's just terrible what happened to all three of them. I mean, come on, guys. Could you imagine having to be married to your wife's sister? I can say that because my wife doesn't have a sister. So I'm not insulting anyone. And I mean, ladies, if you had to share your husband with your sister, can you imagine the drama? And you know there was. If you've read your Bible, there was drama. So now we have 
Jacob married to these two sisters, one of whom he's madly in love with, and the other one he doesn't care a bit about. And so the sisters, there's competition, there's jealousy, there's hurt. Having multiple wives was not a strange deal at all in this culture to anybody, but to be married to sisters was probably pretty rare. And so the competition begins with Leah and Rachel to get Jacob's attention and love and to best the other one. And the number one thing a woman can do in that culture, the most important thing a wife can do is to provide her husband with a son. So both of them are in a race to provide Jacob with his oldest son. And the Bible says specifically, and God saw that Leah was not loved. So he opened her womb and she got pregnant. She bore a son And she says, and this is a quote from the Bible, she says, now Jacob will love me. So she names him Reuben. She says, now Jacob will love me. But he didn't. He loves Rachel. And that's totally understandable. So it says a second time, God saw that Leah wasn't loved. So he opened her womb And she got pregnant a second time, and she bore a second son named Simeon. And Rachel hasn't given birth at all yet. And she's like, ha ha, now Jacob will love me. But he didn't. And so a third time, the Bible says, God saw that Leah wasn't loved. So he opened her womb and gave her a third pregnancy, and she bore a third son and named him Levi. And she says a third time, now Jacob will love me. But he didn't. He loved Rachel. It's not Rachel's fault. It's not his fault. It's just Leah's life. So I'm going to pause the story there and make a few observations for us before we move on to my more main point. Number one, I want you to see that God's heart is drawn to those that are hurting. Three times, God saw that Leah wasn't loved. God's paying attention. He knows how we're hurting in whatever circumstances or situation or relationship that is. God God sees and He knows. And He's drawn to do kind and good things to those who are hurting. A second observation that I want to make is that Leah's main prayer was, God, give me sons. And God answered her prayer. And it didn't fulfill her. My second observation is, even when God in kindness and love and generosity answers our prayers, fulfilling us with the things we think we want, It will never satisfy us because all we need is him, to love him and to be loved by him. And he's so good and kind and generous that he will answer our prayers. But even when he answers our prayers, it's not enough. It never will be. It didn't work. It was not enough for Leah to be satisfied with these three sons. And a third observation that I want to make that's just crystal clear 
and we all know it, but you cannot, you just cannot make somebody love you. You cannot force it. It's impossible. So a fourth time, God saw that Leah wasn't loved. And he opened her womb, and she got pregnant, and she gave birth to a fourth boy. And guess what she said? This time, I will praise the Lord. This time, I will praise the Lord. And she named him Judah, which means praise. It's a really, really powerful sentence. Let's just all say that out loud together. This time, I will praise the Lord. There is so much in that sentence. There is surrender. There is rest. There is joy. There is thankfulness. There is peace. There is acceptance. There is surrender of the striving, of the fantasy, of the wishing, of the fighting, of the competition, of the trying to force God and force my husband and I'm just going to celebrate God. Quit trying to force the situation. This time, I will praise the Lord. This time, I will praise the Lord. That's surrender, that's thankfulness, that's praise, it's joy, it's contentment. It's contentment. She learned a lesson that I've had to learn, and all of us have had to learn, that I can't make anything happen. And I can't stop anything from happening. So I'm here this morning to encourage you to learn the lesson Leah learned and to do what Leah did and and just surrender. The last three Sundays I've talked to you about stand up and fight. Today I'm telling you to surrender. Which one is it, Mitch? Yes. If you remember, surrender is on our list of weapons. It's a really, really big bomb. It's a really powerful weapon, surrender to the Lord and receive what he gives and be thankful and receive what he doesn't give and be thankful. And not just thankful, but genuine praise. Praise is telling God how great you think he is. It's not buttering him up. It's not trying to get something out of him. It's genuine love and appreciation right now in the situation where there's something I want that I don't have. Or there's something that I need that I don't have. Surrender to what he wants to do in you, with you and for you. When I use the word surrender, I'm not talking about giving up and being Eeyore. Everybody knows who Eeyore is. Donkey on Winnie the Pooh. Nobody loves me. I guess I'm not important. God doesn't want to answer my prayer. Things are so hard. No, I'm not talking about giving up and being Eeyore. I'm talking about giving in and being happy. Just give in and be content. Stop the striving and the wishing and the fighting and the trying to force God or force the other person or force the circumstances. Just just praise the Lord and live in today, whatever that means for you. There's a big difference between faith and striving. Surrender is faith because it's not quitting, it's not passive, it's not giving up. 
but it's giving in to what the Lord, Lord, I, I accept what you want for me today. You know what I'm praying about, but I rest in what you want for me today. So accept the husband you don't have. For those of you who don't have one, just accept that. This is where God has you. Or accept the husband you do have and quit trying to change him. Just be happy with the one you have. Accept the wife that you have and be happy instead of striving for something better. Or the wife you don't have. Accept that. Surrender to it. That's where you're at today. Surrender to the children God has given you instead of wishing it was different or there were more, or there were less, <laughs> or they were somebody else's. <laughs> Just accept it. This time I will praise the Lord. Accept the parents he gave you and be happy instead of fighting them. You can't win anybody to the Lord who you're fighting. I'm serious. If you've got unsaved parents or unsaved kids, you're not going to win them to Jesus by fighting them. But surrendering them to the Lord, he'll be able to bring them around. Accept the income that he's given you, the job, the business, or the income that he hasn't given you that you wish you did. Accept it and be happy. Your health or lack thereof, just surrender that. God knows what you need. Just surrender it and be content today, happy. It's not, I'm not saying accept the headache, I'm saying surrender to God and, and just be content, be happy. This time I will praise the Lord. I'm not going to strive for something else that he's not giving me today. I want to read some passages from a book by Francis Frangipane. It is our own desires and the degree of their fulfillment that produce either joy or sorrow in our lives. Even basic desires for marriage or friends can enslave us if they consume our attention. Are these desires evil? No. But if having our desires fulfilled is the main reason we come to Christ, it is possible that our lives simply will not improve until our priorities change. The Lord is concerned about fulfilling our desires, but to do so, he must pry our fingers off of our lives and turn our hearts toward him. Let me read that one again. The Lord is concerned about fulfilling our desires, but to do so, he must pry our fingers off of our own lives and turn our hearts toward him. Indeed, the reason we are alive is not to fulfill our desires, but to become his worshipers. Personal fulfillment can become an idol. It can develop into such an obsession we're living for happiness more than living for God. Thus, part of our salvation includes having our desires prioritized by Christ. In the Sermon on the Mount, he put it this way, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will care for itself. God wants to and will satisfy us beyond our dreams, but not until he is first in our hearts. You'll remember the verse, Proverbs thirteen twelve: Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But desire fulfilled is a tree of life. As our desires are fulfilled, we are fulfilled. 
And since it is fulfillment of our desires that fills us with satisfaction, the secret to a rewarding life is to change your desires to God's. Because that's what's going to happen anyway. Let him choose the times and the means of our fulfillment, allowing the Lord to prepare us for himself along the way. The truth is that in ourselves we are incomplete, but in Christ we have been made complete. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. As you delight in God, you change, and the negative effects of disappointment and grief fall off. As love and joy from God begin to fill us, our very souls are restored and beautified. Yes, delight yourself with Jesus, and your self-destructive tendencies will actually begin to vanish. Christ will beautify your life from the inside out. Become a worshiper of God. As you surrender your desires to Him, as you put Him first, He will take what you give Him and make it beautiful in its time. He will take what you give Him and make it beautiful in its time. He will take what has been bent and imbalanced within you and make you stand upright in His light and glory. Therefore, this day, speak to your soul and tell the areas of unfulfillment within you, this time I will praise the Lord. Surrender to His pruners. Surrender to his sword, surrender to his justice, surrender to his hammer, surrender to his potter's wheel, surrender to his instruction, his command, surrender to his withholding, surrender to his will, his wind, his dream, accept his timing, his provision, surrender to his word, and give him praise. And the really great news from the life of Leah is that Jacob came to honor her. The Bible says not much else about their relationship from the time Judah was born until Leah dies. But then at the very end of the book of Genesis, Jacob is an ancient man, like 120 or something. And this is after Joseph and his brothers and all that stuff. And Jacob is in Egypt, restored to his son, lost son Joseph. And he's leaning on his cane and he's about to die and he's blessing his sons. And he says this, he said, I don't want my body buried here in Egypt. You take me back to the cave where my grandfather Abraham and my father Isaac and Leah are buried. Rachel wasn't buried there. They're nomads. They move around. She had died in a different place. And Jacob says, I want to be buried with Leah and grandpa and dad. So I don't know what Leah's life was like. Did Jacob ever fall in love with her? I don't know. But he came to honor her and appreciate her. Did it happen in a moment? We don't know. Did it happen over decades? We don't know. But I just read you Francis Frangipane's quote, Jesus will take what you give him and make it beautiful in its time. You've been pushing and nagging and preaching at your unsaved grandkids. Surrender them to the Lord and be quiet. And God will make them beautiful in their own time. You've been fighting and fighting for your marriage to get better. Surrender your right to have a happy marriage. Just give it to Jesus. Jesus, I'm trying to make this marriage in my own image. You do what you want with it. Jesus, I'm trying to make my kid believe like I do. Surrender them to the Lord and let Jesus do it. 
May it happen in a supernatural, magical moment? Yes. May it happen over 40 years? Maybe. You heard Becky say a couple Sundays ago she had to accept the fact that she might not live to see John come home to Jesus. It's like it may take so long I may not live to see it. And that's when God did it. When she surrendered him. I'm, of course I'm not saying don't pray and don't talk to your kids about right and wrong and don't invite your grandkids to church. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we don't pray from a place of strife or forcing or fighting the circumstances. We pray from a place of surrender. Jesus, I surrender this situation. I surrender this money. I surrender this health problem. I surrender this kid to you. And I trust you and you will make it beautiful in your time. And I accept whatever you do and I accept whatever you don't do. I see this promise in your word. It's not yet true in my body or my family or my finances, but I believe your word, and that's what I pray for. But here's where you've got me today. I'm just going to be happy. Please hear me. It's not a passive giving up. It's not a, well, I guess God doesn't want to fulfill that promise in my life. Yes, he does. I'm not talking about giving up. I'm talking about giving in. And just rest and celebrate. This time, I will praise the Lord. So I'm going to have Kale put on some music. And I'm just going to give you three or four minutes here between you and God.